Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to yet another edition and the last one of the year of Lip Service. My guest today is no other than the lead singer of one of the most iconic and influential rock and roll bands of all time, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, 100 million albums sold, Mr. Paul Stanley Kiss, and his multi-talented son, Evan, who is an amazing artist on the rise. So This was a real thrill for me, guys. Kiss, you have to understand, growing up was probably the biggest band in the world. Not only is Paul a frontman, he's an accomplished artist, he's a theater performer, he's a family man, and uh, he's got so much going on. This was a super, super interesting conversation for me. Paul is such a force of inspiration. He's got a positive message, and it was just a, a great, great time sitting down with both of them. I think it was the first time these guys have ever done an interview together. So what a thrill. By the way, if you like the show, please make sure it's the last show of the year that you rate the show, you review the show. Five stars on iTunes would be great. I really appreciate it. And coming up in just a moment, Mr. Paul Stanley from Kiss and Evan Stanley after a word from Thursday's Boots. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. My guest today is none other than the lead singer of one of the most iconic and influential rock and roll bands of all time, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, 100 million albums sold worldwide, Mr. Paul Stanley, a kiss, and his uber-talented son, Evan. How are you guys? I'm terrific. Doing great. How are you? It's great to me. I'm, I'm great, thanks. And thanks for coming on, and great to finally make this happen. Um, I uh, look forward to it. You have a uh, illustrious past of uh, guests. Thank you, thank you. I feel like this is the first time that we're ever doing this together. You guys have never done an interview together, right? No, no. no. And uh, when uh, this was proposed, I said, well, we should do this together because Evan's got so much great stuff going on right now. And uh, he's really at the start 
of this roller coaster ride. And uh, so I said, come on, let's, let's, let's do this together. Definitely, definitely. And I want to talk about your past and your journeys and obviously your connection to music and how you, you and Evan kind of grew up with music together here. And Evan, I'm sure you grew up going to Kiss concerts your whole life, right? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I have no idea when my first was, but it's such a funny thing because to me, it was for the longest time, dad's work. And then, you know, when I was in my teens, I listened to Alive, uh, like really listened for the first time and kind of had this realization of like, shit, dad is super cool. And that was, that was kind of the first time the music hit me more as a, a listener than kind of dad's job. And that, that was pretty eye-opening. It's a weird experience. And what age actually did you start going to the Kiss shows? Were you there at like two years old with the headphones on? Yeah, I mean, you got to ask my dad. I don't remember. <laughs> well, Paul, you probably remember that, right? Yeah, um, I think Edmund was probably there when he was about three years old. And uh, uh, headphones, you know, those, those uh, the, the cushion kinds that uh, block out the sound. And yeah, so uh, he, he grew up, I, I'm sure it's very funny because when when you're exposed to something like Kiss from an early age and that's your dad, that's kind of the norm, I guess. And, uh, you know, one one guy's, you know, father is a doctor and then your dad is uh, Superman. So. <laughs> and Evan, at what age did you start getting really into the music? I mean, obviously you grew up around it and it was something that was always like in your atmosphere. But did you feel like from a young age, this is something you wanted to do? Because I want to talk about both your past and journeys into music too, so. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I can't discount that being around it so much definitely played into that. But I think, you know, I started piano pretty young and I tried saxophone and I knew I wanted to do something, but it didn't quite click. And then uh, my friend Justin started playing guitar and he played Smells Like Teen Spirit one day. And that just like blew me away. The fact that he could play a song we knew which was so different than piano for me because I couldn't really play the stuff I wanted to. So I went home and asked my dad to teach me and uh, showed me three or four chords and I still knew him in the morning. And he's like, all right, we'll get you an acoustic. And uh, that was just it. I think it was about 11 or so. Because initially you were a guitar player and now you're doing, you're singing, you're putting out all your own music too. We'll talk about that. Yeah, I was, I was a guitar player for years and I didn't really start writing or singing until uh, I moved to New York for school when I was about 18. Amazing. And Paul, I know that you've just been getting ready for this huge show in Dubai, right? So I know that you've been in rehearsals every day. So thank you for taking your time out to do this. I'm assuming you guys get together and you're rehearsing, you're doing Strutter or Firehouse, all the standards, but are you working on like new music? Are you working on stuff for this show, which will probably be, I think, the largest Kiss show ever, potentially, right? From what I understand. Yeah. Well, taking into account that most of the people who are going to be seeing us, um, may not get to see us again, or this may be the first time. It's really important for us to play the songs that people know. Um, of course, there's a, 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 a small core of absolute diehard fans who want to hear something that's completely obscure, but that doesn't take into account the fact that the majority of the people want to hear Black Diamond Strutter, um, uh, I Was Made For Loving You, Heaven's On Fire, uh, you know, the list goes on, uh, Detroit Rock City, Love Gun. It, it becomes very difficult when you're in a position like we are. It's an enviable position where you have so many songs that are considered classics that there's really not that much room. What do you take out? So taking that into account, this will be a, an amazing night. We have about a million and a half dollars worth of pyro. Amazing. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to beat some uh, Guinness World Records. And at the same time, the band is as is, is sharp as a, a blade at this point. We're in rehearsals. 
And mind you, we are COVID safe. And uh, I urge everybody who's out there to remember that even though uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're talking about a vaccine, a vaccine is only good if you're vaccinated. So until that happens, we still have to be cognizant, remain vigilant, uh, keep the social distance. And that's what we're doing. Actually, in rehearsal, we have uh, very strict codes and uh, we're tested almost daily. The three people who are allowed in other than us are tested and wearing masks and the room is sanitized daily. And the crew that we have of 500 people in Dubai, same thing goes for them. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're not there right now. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we have to make sure for some of us, that's not a train. Definitely, definitely. How do you feel about playing shows in this era? Obviously, everyone needs some light in this darkness. So I appreciate that you guys are doing this. It's going to be about, what, 3,000 people, I hear? Yeah, there'll be 3,000 people there, also safe distanced. And uh, other than that, we'll see just how many people around the world uh, tune in. I, I just figure, look, if you have something better to do than to hear 25 classic songs and see a whole lot of shit blown up, then I'd like your life. Definitely. And so what kind of protocols are in place for something like this? Because 3,000 people, I'm imagining six feet apart. Is this in like a giant outdoor stadium? I actually don't know the setup. I think it's at Atlantis, right? Yeah, it's at Atlantis, which is stunning. Just a, a stunning uh, hotel. And it's outside. And people will be watching from their rooms, from balconies. Um, but yes, a strict, strict protocol in terms of uh, uh, social distancing. That's... Uh, key and it's key with our crew and uh with us we will be tested up until the time we get on the plane and we will be tested when we landed and then basically we'll be sequestered at the hotel until we play amazing amazing so take me back a bit to the beginning paul because i know so much has been said about kiss and your history but i want to talk to you a little bit about your childhood how you grew up obviously evan's childhood it's kind of a tough childhood from what i understand kind of your upbringing all along um you know, it, it's easy to say my life was tough, but there, there are lives that are so much tougher. And I think that ultimately what it comes down to is, do you want to be a victim or do you want to win? And uh, it's very easy to, to see yourself as a victim and say, poor me. And the only person whose life is ever compromised is yours. So uh, you can do that or you can roll up your sleeves and make things right. So... I uh, have always been a fighter, always uh, somebody who wanted to, to see the, the, the bright side of things. So although I had a birth defect and um, certainly was scrutinized quite a bit and made fun of and, and, and what have you that uh, kids tend to do, and sometimes adults actually, uh, and I'm deaf on my right side. So it, it made school very difficult because I couldn't really understand what people were, were saying. If there's a crowd of people, I'm at a complete loss. Matter of fact, a few years ago, we went out to dinner, my wife and I, with a group of people, and uh, she kind of leaned over and heard, I was humming songs. I was you know, in my own world because I couldn't hear. So, um, but I was also very fortunate that I grew up in a family where my mom uh, was uh, born in Berlin and fled uh, when the, the Nazis came in. And my dad was first generation from Poland. So in Europe, music and the arts are very, very essential. It's part of your life. It's, it's not a luxury. It's part of who you are. It's like bread. So I grew up in a family going to museums, 
listening to music. Uh, the first music I heard was Beethoven's uh, Emperor Concerto. I heard uh, Schumann, uh, Mahler, uh, uh, Mozart, and uh, then we heard show tunes. And uh, my parents even took me to Hoot Nannies, which were like bluegrass festivals. Yeah. So um, it was very, very diverse. And uh, but I've they were not necessarily supportive when you told them you wanted to get into music early on. I mean, they were supportive culturally, and culturally you were very sure. rich. But I don't think they're, you're not, it's because you're so supportive, I would imagine, knowing Evan pretty well about his musical career. It wasn't the same for you growing up though, right? Well, it was fear. And, and, and you have to understand that your parents want you to succeed. And when you tell your parents, now I, I didn't think small. I wasn't thinking I'm going to be a musician. I was thinking, yes, I'm going to be a musician, but I'm going to be a rock star. And that's like saying, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the moon. And you're, you're either met with contempt or pity, you know, and uh, um, I was determined. And, and uh, as other people were uh, pursuing uh, careers in, in medicine and things like that, I spent seven days a week, 24 hours a day, figuring how am I going to do this? Because it doesn't happen on its own. Um, um, if you have a goal and you're clearly... And if you've really done an assessment of yourself and uh, you truly believe you're capable of doing it, well, then the only thing that's in your way is, is hard work. Um, ob obstacles, sure, there's always obstacles, but, uh, and there's people who tell you what's impossible and those people are always the ones who failed. So if I can be a light for anybody at this point in my life, I tell people, you can do it. If it's really within your power to do it. I wasn't an idiot. Um, I never pursued becoming a mathematician because I'm an idiot with me. <laughs> right. you know? But if you truly know innately that you can do something, then you can. So uh, I pursued it and uh, um, my parents were rightfully uh, kind of fearful. But uh, when they came to Madison Square Garden the first time and saw their son on stage in eight in heels and uh, tights, wiggling around the stage singing, uh, Strider. Love gun. Yeah, love gun. <laughs> That's funny. So at, at a certain point, Evan comes to you or just organically, he decides, you know, music is going to be my path. And Evan, again, at what age was that sort of for you when you kind of realized this is what you really wanted to do for a living? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I started playing guitar, I knew that was, you know, when you get that sort of passion after not having it, that's I mean, that's life changing to feel that for something and feel that excitement and that love. That's all encompassing. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. But I think that just evolved over time. You know, then I started singing, I started writing. But as soon as I picked up a guitar, I knew like that. I mean, that was, you know, the day that changed my life. <laughs> it was, uh, that was it. And the, I guess the ambition just evolved with, with the music evolving, you know, as I started singing and writing, I kind of dialed in what I wanted to do. And truthfully, you know, that came a little bit later, by the time I got to New York and started realizing, you know, as much as I love playing guitar, I don't want to just rip solos. It's about great songs, you know, whether you're listening to rock or blues or pop or any of that, the stuff that lasts is all because of the song. And that's what really got me going. So that's where, that's where I kind of fell into wanting to learn how to write the best song and develop that. So that, that ambition kind of came in the last few years. Um, it's interesting because I saw some great videos of you and your dad on stage. I think you must have been about 14 and it was like some blues <laughs> solo that you were playing. Hair out to here. Yeah, right? It was like an afro. Yeah, the afro thing going. Um, but at that point, Paul, we were like, 
because obviously your, your parents were sort of wondering. And like you said, when you're at Madison Square Garden, they're like, we finally get what you're doing. But were you very supportive of Evan wanting to get into music or knowing that it was the path of sex, drugs and rock and roll minus the drugs for you um, <laughs> early on? Were you supportive and were you pushing him to do so? Or were you like, maybe not? I think the most important thing that anyone can find in life is their passion. And um, I'm in a different position, clearly, than my parents were. And um, I think that when you find your passion, hopefully you'll find success. Um, if you purely are working to make money, um, chances are you may not be happy. And if you go after what your passion is, I think you stand that much more chance, regardless of the economics of it, of, of finding some happiness. And, and Evan clearly um, seemed to, to capture this um, love of music that I have, and not just rock music. The idea is that um, music like art or food, it's so varied and there's something to be found in all of it and you bring that back to what you do. So um, I think uh, initially when Evan was playing, you know, quickly it became clear that he was gifted as a guitar player. And I found myself at some point going, you know, if all you wanna be is a great guitar player, you'll always be looking for a singer and always be looking for a song. Um, so, and then uh, he was playing really great blues and i remember playing some stuff of his for mick fleetwood who just thought it was awesome but i also said you know there's really only room for one joe bonamassa right and it's not joe <laughs> and god knows joe is 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 at the top of the the you know the the hill he's just astounding but if you're not joe you're going to be somewhere down the the ladder and and playing some clubs and struggling so you need songs. And I, I, I encouraged him to start singing because Evan didn't sing, which is surprising because uh, at this point, he's a really, really, really fine singer with a, great voice. A, and a very identifiable voice, you know, a voice that everybody I know who hears just goes, well, that's a radio voice. So, yeah. so it's funny. So Evan, so at, at a certain point, you start playing guitar in a band called The Dives, right? Yeah. And I think you actually opened up to your dad. I don't know if it was a couple dates or one date, right? Yeah, we opened in London and uh, across the UK. And that was ridiculous. I mean, that was an amazing, amazing experience. But it's also really getting thrown into the deep end because, you know, getting getting that sort of platform and getting that many eyes on you. I, I'm, I'm very lucky to be in a position where I think there are a lot of people who are curious about what I do. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they're inclined to like it. You know, you got to prove that Nobody wants to give, you know, Paul's kid a free pass. So I think there's definitely the added scrutiny of that. So before those shows, I mean, we rehearsed our asses off to make sure we could really play. And the, you get on stage and it's 20,000 people. You never played probably in front of more than a thousand, right? And at that yeah. point, are you just like, if I can just get through this, I'm good, right? Yeah, the first show, I mean, the first show was uh, nerve wracking. Because like you said, it, it wasn't an incremental build. I mean, you know, the biggest show we had at that point I think we had opened for someone, like you said, probably about a thousand people. And then you get 20 times that it's, that's a really different experience. But, you know, after getting through the first and second song, it's like, okay. And by the third song, I, there's nothing like it. I mean, talk about a high, having that many people focusing their attention and energy on you. And, you know, once you feel that, that's something you want over and over. 
Definitely. And, and I was going to say, Paul, is there a favorite song of Evans that he has that he's really, because he's dropping tracks now like every week. I think the weekend cover is amazing, Evan. We spoke about that. Uh, you did a Maroon 5 cover. We, can we talk about the video? Yeah, so there's, that is uh, a lot coming in January that I'm super, super psyched on. And uh, in quarantine, you know, I've been trying to pass the time to be productive. And we did, uh, I have a couple guys I've been locked in with just making tons and tons of music. And we did a couple covers and I was trying to think of a fun way to, uh, you know, put a visual to one of them. And I think we came up with something really, really cool. And that's going to be out January 7th. So, well, I've uh, seen it, but we won't talk about it then. We'll wait until <laughs> premieres. I wanted to add something that uh, to what Evan was talking about, and that's that, you know, you can get your foot in the door, and certainly um, there's uh, an advantage to having a parent in the position that his are, but it works both ways. Um, there are people who, right off the bat, aren't going to like what you're doing because they're prejudiced against it, and the people who are willing to give it a chance, they too need to have something proved to them. So yes, you can get your foot in the door, but they can slam the door on your foot. And I think that the thing that's most commendable about Evan is that there's no sense of entitlement. He, like me, quite honestly, works at this craft every day, you know, seven days a week and it shows because uh the the material is that good and quite honestly um the the material that people have heard isn't the best it's a nice introduction but the songs that are going to come are really um world class hey paul i wanted to talk to you for a little bit i know you're an anglophile and obviously you grew up listening to zeppelin and, and going to see some of these incredible bands, Humble Pie. And Kiss is such a genius marketing band. I think you sold like half a billion dollars worth of merchandise. I'd love to know like your advice to Evan. It's such a different time. I mean, there's no mysticism now at bands. And there was a huge mysticism when Kiss was coming up, obviously. It's true. It's true. And, um, you know, marketing, um, being in the same sentence as music or creativity, God forbid, back then, it was, uh, it was, uh, forbidden or, or, or looked down upon. And marketing to me really, whether it's promoting yourself or promoting products that represent you is giving the public what they want. Um, you can't get somebody to buy a t-shirt. You can't get somebody to buy a belt buckle or a toothbrush unless they want it. And to, to believe that your art is somehow above uh, products is is uh, denying the public and your fans what they want. When we initially started doing t-shirts and belt buckles, it wasn't us being geniuses. The, the best advice I can give Evan or anybody is listen to the public. Um, we, we don't put things out on whims. We put them out because people ask for them. And um, that the idea of living within the boundaries that another band or another performer has to live within, that means you're living within their limitations. And I have always refused to do that. And although some people might uh, smirk or, or look down upon that, the, the truth is that you have to define who you are, not be defined by who someone else is. 
So in terms of now, I mean, now, if you look at today and music where it's at, I mean, you put a song up on TikTok, on SoundCloud, and artists can essentially literally get fame and notoriety just from that. Back in the day, you guys were putting posters on telephone poles. You were doing, you know, it was, you know, it was word of mouth. It was street hustle. So how would you sort of, in, in terms of Evan, like in the way that he's marketing his music, do you guys ever chat about the best way that he should be marketing stuff? It's such a different world now. I really believe that ultimately it comes down to a human connection. And yes, there are people right now who may have momentary mega success, but I think you can count on the fingers of one hand and still have fingers left. How many of those people will still be played in 10, 15, 20 years? And I think the difference is, do you deliver the goods live? And do you connect with people over the long haul? I, I don't necessarily think that success is that difficult. I think maintaining, sustaining success is difficult. And that, that doesn't come from a fad or from one hit. That comes from being seen as a viable performer and entertainer and perhaps mouthpiece. Early on, Bill O'Coin said something too, which was fascinating. He said, if you guys don't wanna be the biggest man in the world, I'm not the guy for you. So when you talk about that, you talk about the history of Kiss and how you guys came up. I mean, how does that apply to like what's going on now in music and with artists like your son and where it's heading? Um, I've said to Evan over the years, and I, he can speak for himself, but I've always said it's not enough to be the best band or best singer in the neighborhood. If uh, back in the day that there were record stores or music stores, I said, if you can't go in there and find your favorite act, and if you're not that good, then you're not good enough. Um, you have to compare yourself not to what's local, but what's worldwide. Yeah, Evan, you yeah, told me something great that your dad told you not long ago. You said, compare yourself to your heroes, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. I think I've gotten so much uh, from both my parents. And one of the things my dad has always impressed on me is that work ethic. And you've got to have enough self-distance to not just sit back and go, yeah, that's cool. you got to really compare yourself to this stuff that gets you going. And I remember winning a battle of the bands in you know, it was in, uh, a high school. I think I was 13 or 14. And after, you know, like you said, my dad's always been so, so supportive. And I said, you know, what can we do better? That was always my question because I, I, I didn't want to be the best of my friends. I wanted to be the best. And, you know, the best piece of advice he gave was you can't control other people's talents, but you can control how much you work. And in doing that, always judge yourself up next to your heroes. And that's what I do today. I mean, when I finish a track, I put it in a playlist in between all my favorite stuff. And then I drive around. And if I'm not as amped on that as I am with everything else, I got to go back and fix it. So the, the key question is, is it between Kiss songs? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Just to tell you what a fan I was growing up. Uh, about 1980, I went to this address. I don't know if this rings a bell to you. 40 East 80th Street. Do sure. So yep. I believe Donna Dixon lived there. My friend lived in the building. I don't know if you lived there or Donna Dixon lived there. I went there. I was like 13. I had a cassette of this band I was in. We were playing like Iron Maiden and Ozzy covers. I slid a cassette under your door and I was like, I'm 13, but if you need a band to open up for you, we're your guys. My band was called Cathedral. We were a bunch of Jewish guys in a band called Cathedral. So uh, I'm not sure if you saw that cassette, but I mean, it was, it was definitely uh, just so funny, right? 
you couldn't call yourself synagogue, right? <laughs> yeah, wasn't a great name. But, but you know, it's funny. Well, I always looked for connections in life. And when I was doing that, I, all these things came to me. I also was managed by Kenny Kerner at some point, who I know produced the first couple of Kiss records. Yeah, and, Kenny, uh, Kenny's, I, I would say that Kenny and Richie, well, Richie Wise and Kenny Kerner did the first two Kiss albums. Yeah. And uh, Richie was uh, the guitar player in a band called Dust. And uh, uh, the bass player, Kenny Aronson, went on to playing with a lot of people. Um, but it, actually, they're, they're, their high point, as far as I was concerned, was they uh, produced uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, a couple of their songs, and, and uh, some, some other things. A group called Stories, they did Brother Louie. Right, Lewis. right. But um, yeah, 40 East 80th was where I lived. That was yeah. my my place. How and, funny. It's funny because Kenny used to always tell me in my band, like, you need to be like uh, just wearing your underwear in these pictures or come out of the shower. And I was so naive. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on, but this guy just wants me to be naked in the photos. Yeah, well, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that had much to do with uh, your career. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> Looking back on stuff. Uh, talking about the, the mysticism of Kiss and when you guys started, do you think that bands are too accessible these days, Paul, in terms of like social media, everything's out there, artists are so accessible, and that mystique is part of what built you guys up. Because I remember when I was a kid, like I said, I think I waited online at Nassau Coliseum to see you guys, maybe sleeping overnight, maybe you get a glimpse of the band, you know, obviously no one saw you without the makeup. That was part of the allure of what built the band. What mm -hmm. do you think about now? Because obviously everyone needs to be so accessible. It's very easy to fall into the trap of saying, oh, when I was young, music was great. Well, that, that's, what, that's what our parents said. And not coincidentally, that's what their parents said. Yeah. So it's easy to, to lose touch. And um, because you don't relate to some of what goes on now, think what you were doing was better. I don't, I don't know where, how much um, um, weight I put in that, but um, even with that disclaimer at the front, I would say that um, I think that the, the performers today who are the most interesting are the ones who do have some mystique and who mm -hmm. do still um, subscribe to that star system in the sense that, um, I mean, Gaga is a star. She looks like a star. She acts like a star. Um, Ariana Grande, great voice, uh, and has, has a, a strong personality. Pink. You know, what's interesting to me is I'm mentioning mainly females. Right. I think that a lot of the, the male performers have missed the mark. Uh, I think Post Malone's great. Uh, Amazing. I, I, I think that when you have something that sets you apart, I think Foo Fighters, that's the last band, um, and that's 30 years. That's crazy, because yeah. I was saying to somebody, oh yeah, new bands, I guess Foo Fighters. But, um, <laughs> have they, you regret Von Fleet? Yeah, you know, I, I think they unfortunately fell into a, a, a sinkhole. And um, when, you come out, when you come out of the box and you're, you're uh, compared to the greatest band ever the greatest yeah and you're you're so young you you're in for a lot of trouble and um um that highway song i think they did yeah which was terrific hey you know um when when you're just getting your your sea legs so to speak to be able to follow that up 
and to be able to um, work under that great burden, um, I think that uh, it took its toll. And we'll, we'll see what happens now. But um, I don't believe in general it's, it's good enough to be a clone of something else. Yeah. I think that, um, look, I didn't invent the wheel, but I took my influences and stirred them all up and came up with me. But, um, you know, who did I love? I loved Steve Marriott. I loved Robert Plant, Rod Stewart, Sam Cooke, um, uh, Dennis Ruffin, you know, um, uh, you know, so... By the way, do you remember the first time you saw Zeppelin? Oh, yeah. Um, I saw Zeppelin in 1969 in August. And um, it was uh, as close to a religious experience as I'll ever have. It was the, the synergy and the, the sexuality and the power that was coming off the stage was mystical. Um, what they were creating sonically um, was just uh, was crazy. It was, I mean, Robert was singing notes that it was just inconceivable to hit those notes full voice and effortlessly one after the other. And Jimmy was, you know, I mean, the whole band was possessed in the best way. And uh, that was pivotal for me because I realized that that was a bar that was set that I could never reach, but you should always reach for it. Um, somebody has to set a standard and whether or not you can reach that standard or, or, or go beyond it, it's important to know that it exists. And um, for me, you know, but life is so interesting because there I was watching Zeppelin and then, you know, you, you, you go to uh, 40 years later and Jimmy's at the show in London watching me. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's, uh, it, it, it is amazing how, how life works. Evan, are there any bands like that that you've had that religious experience watching? Yeah, I think it's, it's been interesting for me because when I was younger, you know, all my heroes were the Beatles, the Love and Spoonful, Hendrix, Zeppelin. So I didn't get a chance to see them. And, you know, Dylan was a hero growing up and I saw him at the Palladium and I love Dylan. He's an absolute hero and has changed music. But it was a very different experience seeing him now than I think it would have been back then. Definitely. But I think the closest thing to to that kind of experience I've had was actually with the tallest man on earth. He's like this five foot Swedish dude with an acoustic guitar. And I saw him at the Wiltern and, you know, opposite end of the spectrum from Zeppelin. But my connection with that music and his connection with the audience was something that I had actually never experienced up until that point. And, and actually really since to that level, it was, you know, every person in that room was absolutely uh, transfixed on him. And that, that sort of energy, that shared energy was something that I hadn't ever experienced before. And that was really, that was the first time I think, because I'd always heard that story of my dad seeing Zeppelin. And that was the first time I kind of could start to understand that feeling. Yeah, Paul, do you ever uh, see a scenario one day where Kiss would actually continue on without you and Gene, let's say? Yes. Um, let me just, uh, uh, when we were talking about The Temptations, who, yeah. who I, when I mentioned uh, 
I, I, I said, Dennis Ruffin. I combined Dennis Edwards, who replaced him, with David Ruffin. So okay. I knew it was, it was David Ruffin, who really was a, you know, there, there, there are influences in my voice, but certainly uh, I'm identifiable as me. But without, without those influences and inspirations, you know, that, that wouldn't be. So you asked about uh, Kiss without me or Gene. Yeah, and unlike other bands, once again, um, that rubs some people the wrong way, but KISS is so much more than a band. Look, you go see any act now, any band, any performer, and you're seeing a KISS show. You're seeing the KISS DNA because everything that anybody does is in some way based on what we've done. So. At some point, I think, and I've always believed that the band is bigger than the individuals. And um, people would say in, in the beginning, oh, that, that's not true. Well, they're half wrong now, you know, because uh, Eric's been in and out of the band for over 20 years and Tommy's been in the band probably 18 now. And uh, the band's never been better. So my, my feeling is, uh, is there someone who can take my place? I think I'm really damn good. But I also know that there's people out there who are as committed to what they do as I've been and should be able to do what I do without copying it. And um, so do I think it's possible? Yeah, I actually would consider it um Beyond flattering, I would consider it a real feather in the cap if KISS could continue as a viable live act because it's ultimately about what we deliver and about our philosophy of giving fans 100%, not only on stage, but in terms of um, this reciprocity that we have with them. So yeah, I, I uh, could another band do it? Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to point fingers, but um, at this point, who are the Eagles? It's, it's Henley and a, a bunch of other guys who are really super talented. Yeah. Does it sound like the Eagles? Yeah. So people want to hear that music. When uh, Steve Perry left Journey, you had to say, well, that's the end of Journey. But people want to hear those songs and they want to hear them done the way they remember them. So Arnell does a great job. Yeah. So this just takes it to a, another level, but um, we're not we're not setting the the precedent. We're just following one. Well, speaking of songs, I want to talk about Soul Station because I believe the record's going to come out fairly soon, right? And March, the album's out, and a couple of singles come out uh, prior to that. Yeah, so talk to me about that project because it's it's harkening back to your early childhood in terms of your influences and whatnot, right? Yeah, I I was really lucky because. Um, before I ever saw Zeppelin or, or any of the British bands that I grew to love or the blues uh, bands that I saw, um, I saw Otis Redding as a kid. Um, I saw Solomon Burke so and Temptation. So that really is the core of what I do. It's not all that I do, but it's in there and it always has been. Um, Smokey and the Miracles, um, early Stevie Wonder, um, Philly Soul, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff, all the things that they produce, Tom Bell. Uh, so you have the Delphonics, uh, Stylistics, 
um, Blue Magic, you know, uh, the Temps, Four Tops, and on and on. So <clears throat> for me, that music, unfortunately, has been relegated to becoming samples in somebody's rap song. So yeah. um, those songs deserve so much more, not only respect, but to be listened to, because when we play those songs live, everybody's faces light up because they're just great, great songs. So everybody in Soul Station is 15 people and uh, everybody's played with everyone from uh, Smokey to Stevie Wonder to Natalie Cole to The Temptations, uh, uh, Whitney Houston and on and on and on. And what uh, it really is like a family. We have, we hang out at my house and have a great time, but what really bonded us together was this love of that music and wanting to recreate it um, accurately, respectfully. Even some of those bands, when they wound up playing live, did these up-tempo, kind of like soulless versions of their own songs. And we're playing those songs the way they are supposed to be. And it's glorious. Look, I started doing it selfishly because I love that music and to have it surrounding me and to get to sing those songs is crazy. It's incredible. So uh, yeah, and then to also write some new tunes that really marry so well to the old tunes is like writing another page. And it's, it's funny because I sometimes uh, spend a little time with um, Rod Stewart and Rod's one of the all time great, great, great vocalists. I mean, the- Definitely. You know, Small faces, incredible. You know, people think of him, you know, oh, the raspy voice. The, the guy, you know, from, from the early days has always been just a, a stellar, stellar singer. Does a great, great version of um, I Wish It Would Rain. Yeah. Anyway, um, one day I was saying, yeah, you know, I've got my, my, my R&B band. He goes, you have an R&B band? I said, yeah. And he goes, who sings? <laughs> and I went, I do. And he goes, you can handle those songs. So I played him early uh, cuts and he, he was like mesmerized and talked about it for days. So it really is, uh, yes, will it surprise some people? Yeah, but um, I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not uh, somebody said, oh, are you reinventing yourself? I'm not the champion of blues rock or hard rock or metal or this. I did Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Uh, I'm a singer. I'm a singer and I choose to sing whatever I choose to sing at any given time. So um, really, honestly, it's as natural for me to, to sing um, Philly Soul as it is to sing rock. It's just, I haven't done it publicly. I'm looking forward to it. So March is when the album comes out. Yeah, and there's singles coming out beforehand. Yeah. Amazing. And Evan, let's talk about your releases. You're, you're dropping music now every Friday. Uh, there's a video coming out that we're not going to talk about, but it's incredible. You do have a Thank special you, guest star who's incredible, who's from a, something big that we also can't talk about, but it's great how you got him. Um, at a later episode, we'll talk about how you got him in the video. So, But um, talk to me about your releases of music. I know you have the ghost soon, Paul, so we'll wrap it up soon. But Evan, talk to me about your music coming out now every Friday. Yeah, so really now that just came from kind of like my dad said, that's almost just a sampler of, you know, these last few months in quarantine, I think have kind of gotten to everybody a little bit. And uh, 
I've uh, had to push the release a couple times because of the pandemic. And it just got to a point where it's like, I, I need to put something. I need to, just for my own sanity. So I put out a couple of these quickies that are, you know, I think they're really fun. They're, they're cool. But, you know, like my dad said, I, I really can't wait to show you what's coming in January. That's something that I, I feel finally is really me in, in a song. And, you know, that's something like we talked about that I put that up next to my favorite stuff. And I can say, if this was someone else, I'd be jealous. Like, and that's the best feeling. Yeah, Thanks, I, Dad. Yeah, no, truly. Um, the things that Evan has posted to me are sketches. That's what they, they come across to me because I've seen the real work and uh, it's world class. It's, you know, is it what I would do? Thankfully, no. And that's what, you know, kudos. Uh, nobody's going to listen to Evan and go, oh, that that's... That's Paul's kid. A, yeah, nepotism aside, the fact is that he's really, uh, really uh, been staking his own ground, and it's it's great. It's amazing. And Paul, Thanks, is there like Dad. a career-defining kiss song that I can jump to right now? Your maybe the favorite, your favorite kiss song that you've written? Gosh, you know, the, with the <laughs> thirty albums or whatever. That's a, that's a hard one. Um, I love Detroit Rock City. Classic. So I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, uh, Paul, one last question I wanted to ask you, actually. I saw a great thing on Twitter the other day, the Macy's Day Parade. You're still having these, after being in one of the biggest bands in the world ever, you still have these Spinal Tap moments. So talk to me about like some of those things that happen here and there still, right? Yeah, it, it, you, you can't have a career like ours and not have those times. And I think that those are the times you have to learn to laugh because you can either get really pissed off um, or you can find the humor in it. And uh, here we were, uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. I must have been about six years ago at least. And um, they told us, oh, you have this big float um, and you're going to have like a hundred uh, baton twirlers or whatever <laughs> in front of you in kiss makeup. And it was like, whoa, this is so cool. And we show up and the guy who's bringing us to our float looks like he saw a ghost and we turn a corner and there's a basically a suv with a u-haul attached to the back and um microphones that were taped and that they're falling off and um you know we just got on it and it really was the it was like the scene in animal house where a uh, belushi and the and his crew crashed the 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 party the, the parade. Um, it was like somehow we snuck into the parade because we're surrounded. It was like um, being surrounded by world-class ships and we're in a rowboat. You know, it was like one of those <laughs> one of those moments. It's amazing. 50 years later, those things still happen. It's crazy. Well, check out Just Saying, Evan Stanley on Spotify everywhere. Paul, I'm excited to hear a soul station. I'm super thankful you guys came on, my childhood hero. So it's been incredible. And hopefully, uh, you know, my really good friend is Adam McCullum. We're one of my great, great friends. So Adam, I know you guys are very close, too. Yeah. So hopefully we'll, we'll have one of those, those famous pizza dinners one of these days coming up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everybody come over. We'll, we'll, we'll sling pizza. I'd love to. I'd love to. And uh, thanks again, guys. And, and Paul, good luck. Dubai Show 2020 pay-per-view. Anything else we should know about the show? No, nothing. But uh, be sure to, to follow Evan because uh, that's the future. For sure. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon, 2021. Thanks, guys. Bye.
You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. So there you have it, guys. A Paul and Evan Stanley exclusive. How fun was that? Such a good time hanging in with those two. And as I mentioned to you before, Kiss was definitely one of my favorite groups growing up. So that was a real pleasure for me. Holiday time. Stay safe. I don't know if any of you guys are traveling, but please, please be safe out there. It is the last episode of the year. We'll be back in January. I hope you guys have a safe and, uh, and a great holiday season. Sending love to all of you. If you like the show, as I mentioned, please make sure once again that you rate it, you review it. Hopefully you give it five stars. And we'll see you back come January. Sending you love. Take care. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.